of endless glory. With your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus carried the cross himself, went out to what is called the place of the skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple there whom he loved, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, aware that everything was now finished in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I thirst. There was a vessel filled with common wine, so they put a sponge soaked in wine on a sprig of hyssop and put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had taken the wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he handed over the Spirit. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Have a seat. I'm very happy to see so many people come out today honor and tribute to our Mary, and on behalf of the whole parish staff, I simply want to assure you, family and close friends, of our love and care and support. What starts today really is a beginning. This isn't like a hard reset. Come back. You've got people here who are willing to work with and for you. My name is Father P.J. McManus. I'm the parish priest here, and Mary was one of the first people that I met when I arrived five years ago and change. She was sitting in the back over here, uh, just on the hall side of the wall, and she was sort of eyeing people as they came in. And there was, I don't know what the event was that was happening, but there were, she had like saved seats for people, and somebody sat down and she looked at him and she said, that ain't for you. <laughs> and so I walked up to her and I said, it seemed kind of rude, and she said, well, no, Father, it's just like in the Bible. You know, Jesus says, don't sit down so somebody can bump you. So I just bumped him to remember what house he's in. <laughs> I had served for a large part of my priesthood before coming here in Chicago. And so on my first visit to the house, I saw all the Cubs stuff. And I said, you know, I, uh, I used to be able to see Wrigley Field from my bedroom. And she looked at me like I was nuts. And she said, why would you ever move away from a thing like that? <laughs> 
Whether we realize it or not, we are today caught in the middle of a dance. Grief sets its own rhythm for us, and the traditions of the church are designed to sort of help us focus that energy and that grief in a way that's productive. We will say and do things when somebody dies that are remarkably stupid, (laughs) out of a desire to allay our own sense of anxiety. And so people will come up and say to grieving family members, and it's like, oh, it's much better now, isn't it? Are you nuts? No, of course it's not. I heard, right? And so the church tries to give us words so that we don't have to come up with stuff on our own. Many of these selected by Mary herself, especially this gospel, which might seem counterintuitive. She wasn't a real sort of doom and gloom kind of lady, but she chose it because of the Blessed Mother. Both because of her own devotion to the Blessed Mother, represented by her sisters in the Altar and Rosary Society gathered, but I think even more profoundly in her own experience of motherhood. The only real regret I have about this whole thing is that it wasn't until she got real sick that I was able to really connect with many of you. But I knew on the other side the way that mothering had changed her, and I can see now the fruit of it in all of you. Mothers worry. It's built into your DNA, probably literally. It's how we keep going as a species. The last thing a mother does before they're able to rest themselves is make sure that their kids are okay. And so in this kind of perverse situation that our Lord and Our Lady find themselves in with him on the cross, it's as though Jesus can't let himself go until he knows his mother is cared for. And Mary, that is our Mary, understood that very same intuition. She always needed to know where you were and whether you were okay. And even when she couldn't know it or wasn't sure of it or didn't totally believe you, she's still worried. A mother's worry, a mother's love is importantly a sign a fruit of love. The dance in which we're caught is the church's funeral rites, and especially since we're coming to this from different places and spaces, it's worth saying a couple things so that uh, the ceremonies can make sense. We started at the door of the church because once upon a time, Mary was brought to the church for baptism, and she was met then at the door. She was attended on that day by people whom she loved, just as today, The last day she comes to the church, she's brought in and attended by those whom she loves. On that day, she was covered in the water of baptism. And so today, she's covered again in the water. And just like every little baby or grown-up gets baptized, she was clothed in a white garment. And so today, she's clothed in the white garment. On that day, she was given a candle lit from the great candle of Easter. And so she's parked, as it were, as close to that candle as can be and brought as near the altar as she can. Because in the church's mind, the church's vision of human life, what begins at baptism is only ever really completed at the altar. The Mass, Holy Communion, isn't just something we do because we don't have something better to do on Sundays. It's a real share in the life of Jesus. And because of that, those of us who have lived our lives in Jesus now come to share in his death. And having shared in his death, can rightly hope, reasonably hope, in the resurrection.
It's become common these days to say, uh, you know, funerals are for the living, not for the dead. And that may be the case in some traditions, but it's not true here. We will occasionally, in the course of the service, say nice things for all of you, but most of this is about her. And it's not because we're living in sort of dread fear that God is playing some perverse game of gotcha in the afterlife. How, uh, you only confessed lying 137 times, but it was really 140. That's not the idea. It is, rather, that the bonds of love and affection, and especially the bonds which unite us in Jesus, they can't be destroyed by something so shallow as death. I recognize shallow is not the way death feels today, but hear me out on this. It's the reason she picked this passage from the Maccabees. That's a story from the Old Testament that most of us don't remember, but it's where Hanukkah comes from, right? Um, And what happens is the bad guys take over the temple, so the Jews have to kick the bad guys out of the temple. And when they do, after the battle's over, they find on the bodies of these dead Jewish soldiers amulets, medals to pagan gods, basically, which by rights should have... they, wouldn't, they couldn't be buried as a good Jew because they died as a bad Jew because they were hedging their bets with the pagan god next door. But Judas Maccabees, the guy in charge of the army, he says, no, 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 like, bad, don't do that. But also, they died in service of the nation. They, saw, they died in service of the God of Israel. That deserves to be commemorated. And so he has a collection taken up and sacrifices offered on their behalf. And so the narrator tells us it was a good and a pious thought to offer sacrifice for the dead. I think the reason Mary liked this was because she still liked showing Kenny little notes of love long after he was gone. That matters. Those aren't just things we do to ourselves to fill a hole inside. There are ways that we stay connected to those that have gone before. Maybe it's all this mothering imagery, but I, earlier this morning, was at a mass across town, and I was passing by the cemetery where my own mom is buried, and the bishop preached blessedly short, so I was able to stop and see my own mom this morning. And, and that's what that intuition's about. It's about maintaining connection with those who've gone. And this is the real kicker. If we can have it, while there is a way in which they are absent, in ways that we've never experienced before. There is another way, an even more important way, in which they are present, more present than before. The regulars here know that when my mother died, I wasn't here in Des Moines, I was teaching at the seminary in St. Louis. And um, she died Holy Week, which is very inconvenient. Please don't ever do that. And then when I went back after the, the, the funeral, I had finals for my students. And so it was like a solid three or four weeks before I was able to really kind of just stop and breathe and connect and catch up on everything that had happened. And so it was a Saturday morning and I was in the laundry room and I'd gotten a stain on one of my robes. And, and so I was trying to work out the stain. I had my OxyClean faithfully there and that, it just wouldn't come out. And so I thought, well, I need help here. Who do you call for laundry advice? Mom, right. 
So I said, hey, Siri, come on. And I put the phone up here, and I'm working. And, and, and then Dad hadn't turned the phone off, so her voicemail picked up. And I heard her voice for the first time in a month. And I dropped the phone onto the concrete floor of the, 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 the laundry room, the only phone I've ever done that with, which is kind of amazing if you know me. And, and I sat down on the floor and I cried, really cried, for the first time in that month. And after the grief, which comes to us in waves, after the grief subsided in that moment, I started to smile. And the reason was I realized I didn't need the phone to call her anymore. And she and I sat on the floor of the laundry room and had the best conversation we'd had in years. There is real sorrow in the parting we experience today. It's the reason I'm still inviolate, because we do mourn our own sinfulness, our mistakes, our regrets, all the bad stuff and things that didn't work out the way that we'd hoped, even as we give thanks for the good things that did. But there is an even more real way in which Mary remains present to us and with us. And that is worth holding on to today as we strive to do what she so often did. Bring her struggles and her sorrows and her sacrifices to God's altar and allow him to transform them even as he will gifts of bread and wine and return them to his change so that we, in turn, might change the world. Would that we all could change the world with a smile like Mary Colby.